right, come on, good morning, Go Church family. How you feel today? I'll tell you what, you look like a hundred bucks. How about that? As a matter of fact, look at somebody near you and say, you look like a hundred bucks and I need a hundred bucks. So let's share the love. Come on now. Everybody in this room, it's a joy to see all of you. Let me look at the cameras in the back of the room. I want to welcome our West Side Atlantic campus. Come on. And then our Germantown, Maryland campus as well. And everybody watching online. So at this location, we live stream the message portion of our gathering. So can you make some noise at whatever location you're a part of? Greet each other as one big family. Come on. Come on if you love your church family. There we go. And then, of course, if you've been a part of Go Church for any period of time, you know we have this weekly tradition that before we get in the Word together, we always pause to give honor to those brave men and women who served in the military or currently serving in the military and all of those courageous first responders. And I'll tell you what today, if you've served in the military, you're currently serving in the military, or your job considers you a first responder, regardless of what location you're at, even online, would you put your hand up? Let us know if you're serving or you have served. Now, come on, can we make some noise? Thank God for all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, come on, show some love. Show some appreciation. There we go. God bless all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then this has been a fantastic weekend. Come on, ladies, have you go, girl. Where are you at, ladies? Come on. Go Church put on the You Go Girl conference. It was absolutely world class. Lives forever changed. This church is forever changed. And so we just, we thank God for the first lady, Kimberly, her team, the staff, all of the volunteers. Really, really well done. And so we're just going to keep the momentum, the spiritual momentum going next Sunday. And this is a freebie trying to help you out. Next Sunday is Mother's Day. Come on, Mother's Day. And so as a part of the many gifts that you'll be giving your mother on Mother's Day, why don't you make coming to church together one of those tremendous gifts? And uh, we do Mother's Day well here at Go Church, and we're going to continue to do that next Sunday. We got something for all the mamas. We got a special guest, Lisa Turkhurst, is coming. Come on. She'll be live in person at this location, live streaming to Germantown in the west side. I suggest that if you're coming to this campus, you get to here a few minutes early to get you a seat. It will be packed. We will have overflow set up. And so everybody's going to have a space, but it's going to be a great Sunday. I know Mother's Day can have a variety of emotions um, and, and you have different dynamic and experience and feelings with Mother's Day, but we're going to celebrate moms next, next Sunday. And I hope that you're able to be a part of that. It's going to be a great day. And then today we're in the final week, the fifth week of a series that we've been doing here at Go Church and we're calling it Long Story Short. Have you, have you enjoyed this so far, this whole conversation, Long Story Short? If you've missed any week of the five weeks, you can go back online and uh, check those out. We've been taking a telescopic view of the Bible, and we've pulled out five significant historical events that have happened as recorded in Scripture. In the first week, I'll show you all five weeks here. In the first week, we talked about the beginning, creation. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Then we talked about Genesis chapter 3 and, ver and, and the second week, in week number 2, how because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, sin entered the world. And from Genesis 3 all the way through the resurrection of Jesus, which we talked about on Easter, God's been showing his love for us and towards us. He did so by giving us Jesus, Jesus being uh, arrested, crucified, buried in a tomb. That's how he overcame the power of the enemy. Then last Sunday, we talked about the importance of the church, this one big, crazy, dysfunctional family. Come on, somebody. That's us around here. Go church. But the importance of the local church, the Greek word is the ekklesia, the gathering. We talked about your role in the local church as well. And then today, we're going to close out the series with the return of Christ, the second coming of Jesus. Anybody have any interest in that, by the way? We'll talk a little bit about some, like some end time stuff. And I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to pray for me here in a minute. And I'm going to preface uh, this message with this particular thought. And it's because I need your prayers. I, I am no expert on the second coming of Jesus, on the return of Jesus. I don't know if I'm an expert on any topic. You know, uh, I do have the gift of gab though. Come on, somebody. You know, but I'm not an, I'm not an expert on the return, the second coming of Jesus. I am a student just like you are. And so I have, uh, in the middle of a very busy week, even kind of stepped back a few weeks prior to begin to prepare for this conversation today. I am confident of this, though, that the Lord has given me a word to share with you. 
and I hope that you receive it. So I want you to take notes today at any location, even if you're online. There's a lot of things I want to walk through. I think that you're going to want to reference this later on. And this is a great conversation, you know, uh, to have with your family and with friends. As a matter of fact, this week in the break room, just ask somebody, what do you think about the end times? See how that conversation goes. You ready? So you want to take some notes today. There's a message note card and a seat back near you. If you're going to use your journal, that'd be great. If you use your smartphone, I encourage you to put on airplane mode so you don't get distracted, okay? But let's jump into this together. I want you to pray for me. Uh, I've been doing this for a couple of weeks now, but before we even begin to pray, let's just take... 10 seconds here as kind of a moment of focus and meditation and clarity. Your week's been busy. My week has been busy. This next week is going to be busy. So how about we not let the enemy rob these next 40 minutes that we have together? We allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. Anybody with me? Anybody need a word from the Lord? Come on. All right. So every head bowed, every eye closed. Everybody in this room, Germantown, Westside, let's take 10 seconds here. Invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us and then I'll pray for us. Lord, I thank you for the most incredible, humbling opportunity to stand on this platform and to preach the gospel, which is the good news. I need your anointing today, Lord. You know what, church? I just want to pray a heartfelt, genuine, authentic prayer. I don't want this message to come across like I'm mad or angry because I'm not. But I do want this message to come across with urgency, a sense of urgency, because I believe Jesus, you're coming back soon. And so we got to get, get our hearts in order. we got to get our houses in order. We need to come back into alignment, into a love relationship with you. So I just pray, Lord, that this word would not fall on deaf ears. I thank you that your word never returns void. Thank you for that. I thank you that this word will penetrate to our heart and that, Lord, you'll do the work. It's never my desire to try to impress people. I can't do that. It is my desire, though, to be used to impact people, and I believe the Holy Spirit can do that. So I'm asking you to use me today. I give you all the glory and all the honor. You are so good to us. And so we love you, and we give you thanks. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the whole church said amen and amen. You've clapped a lot already, but if you just are thankful for Jesus, if you love Jesus, come on, would you put your hands together? Come on, from the front of the room to the back of the room. Come on, just testify. If God's been good to you, come on, thank God for his favor. All right. So let's start here in John chapter 14. We're talking about the return of Christ, the second coming of Jesus, and then uh, we'll even share a little bit about the signs of the, of the end of times. And I want to start in John chapter 14 here, a, a couple of verses, and I'll give you a little context of John 14. It is recorded during the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples. So as you know, before Jesus is arrested in the garden and then he's uh, tried and charged as uh, preaching heresy, uh, he has this final meal before then he ends up on the cross. And, And during this final fellowship meal, they're breaking bread and they take communion together. But in John 14, Jesus is actually comforting the disciples because of the revelation that he's giving them about you know, what's to come, his, his, his death and all of that. And so the disciples are, are grieving, they're sorrowful. You and I have a lot of differences, but at least one thing we have in common is that we've all lost somebody that we love. So we know what, what loss feels like, what grief feels like, and the disciples are grieving. I mean, for three years, they, they lived with Jesus, they, they, they talked with Jesus, they walked with Jesus, they they were discipled by, by Jesus, their, their rabbi. I mean, he, they did life together, and now Jesus is leaving. And so he gives them some comforting words. And here's what he says, as recorded in John 14. And I think this is such an appropriate word for many of us today. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Does anybody receive that? He says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He says, for in my Father's house, there are many mansions, there are many rooms. I know you live in a nice house, but anybody excited for a little bit of an upgrade? Come on now. So there's many rooms in my father's house. And then he says, if that were not so, what I have told you, what I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, watch this, I will come back. That's a promise. That's a fact. That's an absolute truth, by the way. 
He says, I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So Jesus, in his comforting words, he says, look, I'm leaving. He goes on to say that it's better for you that I go because if I, if I go, then you can experience the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. And he says, no, don't worry, I'm coming back again. And when I come back, I'm just going to, I'm going to get the Airbnb ready. Come on, somebody. That's actually pretty good. I like that. So I'm going to get this right. I'm going to come back. I'm going to take you with me. And there you will be with me. Wherever I am, you'll be. And then after the, the Last Supper, you know, again, the, uh, the arrest happens in the garden. Uh, Pontius Pilate puts him on display. He lets the people decide what to do. They yell, crucify him. They crucify him on a cross on Friday. They, and then they bury him in a tomb on Saturday. We talked a lot about that on Easter. And then on Sunday... The Spirit of, of, of God allows Jesus to be resurrected. And Romans 8, 11 reminds us that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to me and you. And that's really good news because there's a lot of things I'm going through in my life that I need a far greater power than my own power. Anybody testify to that? And so what happens in John chapter 20 is Mary Magdalene is coming to the tomb. She's going to begin the embalming process of Jesus. But when she gets there, he ain't there. And the Bible records that Mary then begins to run and to tell people that Christ is risen, which means that the very first evangelist was a woman. So if you're wondering what Go Church thinks of women in ministry, I think it's a good idea. Come on now. Come on, ladies. I'm trying. Come on, help me out here. So she goes to Simon Peter, and she begins to tell him that, you know, he is risen. Christ is risen. And I want you to see what's recorded in John chapter 20 here. So Peter and the other disciple left immediately for the tomb. Verse number four, they ran neck and neck. The other disciple got to the tomb first, outrunning Peter. Now, I don't know if you ever read the Bible and you find humor in it, but that's kind of how I'm wired. You know, I'm, I've kind of got a weird personality. I'm a, I'm, a fun, I'm a funny guy, you know. But what's interesting about this is that Peter is mentioned and the writer of John is John and so you'll read through here, he's like, hey, I know the resurrection happened, but I just want to make sure everybody knows that I can run faster than Peter. <laughs> uh, he's fast, but I'm too fast, you know. So he's like, you know, we ran neck and neck. You know, the other disciple, you know, me, got to the tomb first. I was outrunning Peter, stooping to look in. Peter saw the pieces of linen cloth. If you're following in your, in your Bible and your scriptures, highlight those two words, linen cloth lying there. But he didn't go in. Watch this. And Simon Peter arrived after him, because he's slow. <laughs> he entered the tomb, observed the what? Linen cloths lying there. But the handkerchief, and that's important, used to cover his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but separate and neatly folded by itself. And then one more time here, John just says, and then the other disciple, you know, remember the one that got there first, <laughs> went into the tomb and he took one look at the evidence and believed. West Side, Atlanta, Germantown, everybody in this room on the count of three, would you just shout the word evidence? One, two, three. And what's interesting is the evidence is the linen cloth. It's this linen cloth. And you might, like I would, you know, a piece of handkerchief is somewhat insignificant, but actually it's incredible evidence of not only the resurrection of Jesus, but the prophecy that he would come back. I'll explain this to you for a moment here. So in the Hebrew tradition, the relationship between the master and the servant was incredibly important. I'll give you one example. If, if it was time for dinner, the servant would prepare the meal for the master, not just preparing the meal, but also preparing the place setting for the master to dine. So they would come into the dining room and the servant would set up the table and it would be furnished beautifully and perfectly and the meal then would be presented. And once the master was served by the servant, the servant then would step just out of sight. So the servant could always have eyes on the master, but the master couldn't see the servant. This way, if the master needed something, the servant could be quick to respond to the needs of the master. Now, as the servant would watch the master, if the master were, and you know what, I got a little towel here, I'll use this. If the master were to get up from the table and take a handkerchief and wipe his hands and wipe his clothes, and of course they had long beards, clean his beard and wipe his face and wad that, that napkin up, that handkerchief up and throw that wadded napkin on the table. The wadded napkin in Hebrew tradition let the servant know that the master was done eating, that he was finished. 
that you could come clear the table because he was moving on to the next event of the evening, whether it be entertainment or going to bed. So the wadded handkerchief, the wadded napkin, man, I'm done. But if the master, I feel like preaching on this Sunday morning. I wish I had 100 people that came ready to hear me preach. Come on now. But if the master got up from the table and wiped his hands and wiped his beard and wiped his clothes, and it didn't matter what he did. If he took that napkin, that handkerchief, and he folded it neatly, and see, I can do laundry. If he folded it neatly and then set it aside from the plate, that folded handkerchief, that folded napkin set, signified to the servant, I'm not done. I'm not finished. I'm coming back. Jesus knew what he was doing in that borrowed tomb some 2,000 years ago. He took that handkerchief that covered his face. He folded that bad boy neatly and he set it to the side to let the whole world know there is unfinished business. I am coming again. I am not done. Come on, if we're going to clap, let's clap well. Come on. So the work of Jesus is not finished. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come again. Now, there is significant difference between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. In the first coming of Jesus, Jesus came as a suffering servant. But when Jesus comes the second time, he's coming as a conquering king. The first time that Jesus came, he came riding low on a donkey. But the next time that Jesus comes, he'll be riding on a white horse. The first time that Jesus came, he wore a crown of thorns. But the second time that Jesus comes, he'll wear a crown of triumph. The first coming of Jesus was all about salvation. But the second coming of Jesus will only be about judgment. It reminds me of a story of an old border town. Years ago, long before they had cars, they had horse and buggy. And in this particular story... It tells of a, a young boy that was sitting in a wagon. His parents had gone into the local grocery or whatever, and the wagon was attached to a horse. Something spooked the horse, and the horse takes off running. Well, not far from the border town was a cliff that would fall into a valley, and a young man watching the, the whole incident play out in real time decides that he would risk his own life. So he jumps on his horse, and he chases after that you know, crazy wagon steered by that wild animal. And as soon as he gets close enough, he exchanges from his horse onto the wagon. He's able to corral the horse and gain control of the whole encounter just before they were to go off the edge of the cliff. Well, he becomes a town hero, and he's well known for this particular heroic act. The young boy that was saved, he begins to grow up, and he becomes an evil man, a wicked man. He's committing all kinds of crimes, and one particular crime he commits lands him arrested, and now he's standing in a courtroom in front of a judge. And that boy that was once saved from that runaway horse is now standing in front of a judge, and he recognizes that that judge was the same young man that some years ago saved him from his death. So he says to him, he says, sir, judge, I'm the boy. I'm the boy that you saved all those years ago. You saved me once. Can't you save me again? And here's what the judge says. Son, then I was your savior, but today I am your judge. And let me tell you, church, today Jesus is your savior. And there is breath in your lungs and you have life today and an opportunity to repent of your sin, confess Jesus is Lord Make him the Lord of your life. But one day, every single one of us will stand before God. And on that day, he will be our judge. He will either call us from this earthly home and we'll stand in front of him when our time on this earth ceases to exist or when he returns and he calls us up, we will all stand before God in that moment and he will be our judge. And a lot of people wonder, they wonder, well, when is... When is all this going to happen? When, when is the, the second coming of Jesus going to take place? And listen, I mean, I went to college. I got a four-year degree. I'm smart. As a matter of fact, I paid a lot of money to be this dumb. Come on, somebody. And I'll tell you this. I don't know. I can't, I can't tell you when Jesus is coming back. A lot of people have tried to predict his return, though. In your lifetime, some of you, most of your lifetimes, you'll remember a man by the name of Harold Camping. Harold Camping was a Christian man, and he tried repeatedly to predict the return of Christ. 
His first prediction was in 1988. Wrong. So then he wrote another book, 1994. Wrong. 2001? Yeah. As a matter of fact, 2011. He said Jesus is coming back on May 21st of 2011. And when that didn't happen, he said, you know what? I made a mistake. It's October 21st of 2011. And guess what all Harold Camping is up to right now? I don't know. He's dead. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. He's, people have come and they've tried to predict the return of Christ and when it's going to happen. Well, watch what the Bible says here in Matthew 24. Watch. About that day, about that particular hour, when the heavens will open and the, the sun will, the sun, S-S-O-N, sun will descend. No one knows. The angels don't know. And I don't know what, what you think when you see this one, but neither does the son himself. The son doesn't even know. The only one that knows is the father. God the father is the one that knows when he's going to say to his son, okay, it's time to return and call the saints that are alive. So if Jesus comes back and you are alive, meaning physically alive and your faith is in Jesus, you and I, when Jesus comes back and it'll happen in a moment in a twinkling of an eye, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, none of it will be able to catch that moment. Jesus will come. Those who are alive in Christ, we will literally be caught up in the clouds with him. Those that have died and gone on before us, they will come up. Y'all not going to help me today. That's fine. Whatever. It's going to happen though. So we don't know when it's going to happen, but the Bible does give us, God's love letter does give us signs. God's, God's word to us gives us signs about when the return of Christ is going to happen. I'm going to give you six signs, all of these out of Matthew chapter 24. I hope you write these down, okay? You've got to write these down. I'll give you the, the scripture reference, not the entire verse, just for time's sake, and you'll see what I mean here. Let me give you the first of six. What are the signs of the return of Christ? Here's the very first sign. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Matthew 24 verse 6. You can go ahead and check this off the box of things that need to happen in order for Jesus to come back. Many of you have served in the military in some capacity. Some of you served during a war. Some of you served in a war. So we know that wars are happening. And on this day, May, May 1st of 2022, which, by the way, can I just say this? 18 years ago today, I got down on one knee and proposed to that beautiful girl right there. This isn't our wedding date. It's our proposal date. So I'm going to take her out to the fanciest lunch I know how at some country cooking buffet. Come on, somebody. Because <laughs> it's all you can eat. Come on now. <laughs> anyway, going to be wars and going to be rumors of wars. So whenever you're watching this, whether it's in real time or the archive message, we are two months now into the Russian invasion of the beautiful people in the country of Ukraine. Now, I don't, this is not political, by the way. This is biblical. This is scriptural. And I'll show you this here, if you'll just hang in there with me. In nine weeks, 3,000 Ukrainian people have been killed. 3,000. 210 of them children. Murdered. Now, you can, you can scroll through your news feed on social media when it gives you the headlines of what's happening in Ukraine and the invasion from, from Russia. You, you can choose to ignore the news, and sometimes that's not a, a bad idea. But even unbelievers, they understand the significance of the Russian invasion and how it connects to the end times. I, I'll explain it to you. Russia's master plan, Russia's game plan, is to eventually overtake the nation of Israel. I read an article a few days ago by CNN, and it talked about how Israel is on high alert right now as they watch what Russia is doing to Ukraine because they know that it's only a matter of time before Russia invades their country. In the article, it said that the people of Israel are walking through the raindrops trying not to get wet, meaning that it's impossible. They know that the attack is coming. Now, why does that matter? Well, 2,500 years ago, the prophet Ezekiel, as recorded in Ezekiel chapter number 38, write that down, prophesied that the nation of Rosh, R-O-S-H, would invade the nation of Israel. Now, Rosh 
and Russia don't just sound the same, they are the same. And that can be proven biblically, linguistically, and geographically. That Russia is the nation that will ultimately invade the nation of Israel. This isn't just wars and rumors of wars. This is all pointing to the second coming of Jesus. So I would just be careful the next time you just flip through. Don't just flip through as if it's not important. Hit your knees and pray. Listen to me. People get ready. Jesus is coming. He is coming. Here's a second, here's a second sign. Watch this. There will be famines, natural disasters. Now, let me say this too. I, this isn't, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. All of this is happening. Famines and natural disasters. Let's get our head out of the sand for a moment. Somalia, Yemen, Liberia, Chad, they live in a daily reality of famine. No food, no water, and it's more than just poverty. It's pandemic and disease and death and the natural disasters. There are earthquakes and tsunamis and tornadoes. We had an F4 tornado hit here last year. It's like the earth is groaning for the inevitable return of Christ. And all of the, California is constantly on fire. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I promise you that. Trust me on that. But you can't ignore a global pandemic as if, well, I don't know. The whole world was affected for two plus years. And it points to the inevitable return of Jesus. Christians, a third sign, Christians are going to be hated all around the world. Matthew 24, 9 and 10, and because of the hatred, because of the persecution and them being martyrs, many of them will leave their faith. Again, think beyond America for a moment. I'll talk about America on the next point, but think of beyond America. North Korea, Nigeria, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India. You're being murdered because of your faith. Oh, we're working on planting a go church in the Mukudupali village of India. And I have all intention of trying to get over there. But two weeks ago, a Christian pastor was dragged out of his home and murdered and beaten in front of his family and in front of the town. Why? Because he said yes to Jesus. All over the globe, Christians are being hated and they're being persecuted. And I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay your bad day or my bad day. We've all had a bad day. But the next day we have a bad day, let's redefine what a bad day is. Can I get three pit? Y'all here today? And many are turning from the faith. Watch this. Here's another sign of the end times. Sin will be widespread. One translation of Scripture says it this way, that sin will abound. Sin is everywhere. Now let me talk about America. We've lost our flipping minds. JC, stay anointed. Don't get in the flesh. Stay anointed. We've lost our way. We've lost our moral compass. We've lost our Christian values. We've lost our Christian ethics. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Listen to me. Politics aside, we are aborting babies. God forgive us. You can go on your phone right now and text me an emoji of a pregnant man. What? We've lost our way. We've accepted religious pluralism. No! There is only one truth. There is only one way to God the Father, and it is through Jesus. Come on. We've lost our minds. Sin is everywhere. I'll come back on that one because I'm going to preach that one until you get it. Come on now. And in the midst of all of these signs, it feels like, man, is there any good news? Yes! There is good news. Matthew 24, verse number 14 talks about that before the return of Christ, that the gospel will be preached to the whole world. The whole world will hear the gospel of Jesus. Can I, can I let, you, let everybody lean in for a second? Last week, David Green, the founder of Hobby Lobby, and the, the, the Truett Kathy family, the Kathy family of Chick-fil-A, they got together a bunch of rich people. Come on now. Isn't it nice to have rich people? And in one meeting, they raised billions of dollars to have the whole Bible translated in languages across the world. Let me tell you, the gospel will be preached everywhere. That's why you need to go to Chick-fil-A. Yeah, you just can't go today because they're closed on Sunday. 
Kimberly, she's going to tell me next week, no, I've got to go to Hobby Lobby, babe, and you know why. I'm just trying to preach the gospel everywhere. <laughs> Look at what's happened. I'll tell you two countries, China and Iran. Yeah. Let's talk about China for a moment. Research says that by the year 2030, eight years from today, that China will have more Christians than the United States of America. And watch this. And by 2050, China will be an overwhelmingly majority Christian nation. God is moving. Sometimes I think you think I'm up here making up stuff. Nah, sometimes I do. But I'm not making this up. Google this one about Iran. Google Operation World. Right now, the fastest growing evangelical movement in the whole world is happening in Iran, an Islamic nation, where these Muslims are rejecting Muhammad, rejecting a false god. They're confessing their sin, repenting of their sin, and accepting the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Come on. The gospel is being preached everywhere. I, I went on a first grade field trip this week with my daughter. And if you ever want to know if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, go to the Atlanta Zoo. Come on, somebody. <laughs> so I had three hours on this field trip. It was actually fantastic. And I, I got paired with a group of, of, of some moms, and, and there was one other dad, and he became my best friend. Come on, somebody. I was like, you are my, you are my guy. <laughs> Not that way, but just today. Like, we're just going to roll together, you know. So we're, what, three hours we're walking, and, you know, he asked me, he said, so what do you do? And I told him what I did, and asked him what he did, and he told me what he did. He worked at Chick-fil-A, and I was like, oh, my gosh, we love Chick-fil-A. So he gave me four free Chick-fil-A coupons. <laughs> to God be the glory. <laughs> I mean, what a great day. I endured the first grade field trip. I was rewarded. I, by the way, we got four Chick-fil-A gift cards. <laughs> Anyway, he asked me, he said, well, what are you preaching on Sunday? I was like, I'm talking about the second coming of Jesus. And we started talking about, about this right here, about the gospel being preached all over the world, Matthew 24, 14. And I said this to him in that conversation, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to put that in my notes on Sunday. And I want you to hear me. I believe in my lifetime, that within my lifetime, America will no longer be the nation that is sending missionaries to preach the gospel. We will be the nation that needs the missionaries to preach the gospel. That's how far off we are. That in my lifetime, other countries will be sending missionaries to the United States of America trying to give us Jesus. Here, here's, a, here's another sign of the end times. Are you good? If you're good, say I'm good. Watch this. There will be false messiahs, false prophets. Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, Sun Moon, Jim Jones, Charles Manson, David Koresh. False, 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 false. And then there will be more false prophets and more false messiahs. There will be more false teachers. That's why this Go Church isn't a perfect church. But here's something you should know. I don't think I'm God. I don't think I'm, I'm Christ. I mean, my name is JC, but still. <laughs> it ain't like that. And there's, there's, there's people that claim to be pastors of churches that are, they're not leading a Christian movement. They're leading cults. There is only one true prophet. There is only one true Messiah. His name is Jesus. Let's take five seconds and thank God for Jesus. Come on. So all, all of that to say this, from the evidence in the, in the tomb to the signs of the end times, even though we don't know the hour, all the signs are pointing to the fact that, that now... Today... I told, on that field trip, God moved at the Atlanta Zoo. The Bible talks about how the archangel Gabriel will blow or blast the trumpet to announce the coming of Jesus. In my opinion, and I'm no scholar, but in my opinion, Gabriel is in the corner of heaven licking his lips, preparing to blow that trumpet. Jesus is coming back. And there are two types of, of end-time attitudes that people are living with. These are current end-time attitudes that I see people living with. I want you to write these down, okay? And I'm not mad, I'm not angry, but God has anointed me today to preach the gospel. He's anointed me today to call some things out. 
There are some things in my life that I got to get right. There are some things in your life you got to get right. Look at the closest person near you and say, I think he's talking to you more than he's talking to me. Just go ahead and tell him that. (laughs) But here's the first one. People are doing their own thing. They're just doing their own thing. We do what we want, when we want, with who we want. There's no conviction. There's no concern. Watch this. There's no holy fear of God. If you read the book of Judges, it talks about that the Judges was written on a time that there was no king of Israel and the people did whatever they wanted. That is 2022. People are doing whatever they want to do. We are driven by power, prosperity, money, greed, sex. All of that is our driving force. Now, I know that's not popular, and you may not come back next week, but here's a little bit of good news. I'm not preaching. Lisa Turkhurst is, okay? So she would just love you. Happy Mother's Day. But today, get your house in order. Get your heart in order. We're playing games. We do whatever we, do whatever we want to do because we don't fear God. You are not untouchable. You woke up today by the grace of God and only by the grace of God. You are not promised tomorrow. And we've got our minds so focused on the things of this world that we're driven by our own agendas and our own motives and our own selfish ambition. And ladies and gentlemen, it's dangerous. And watch this. History always repeats herself. For as in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, the Bible says, people were what? Eating, drinking, partying, marrying, giving in marriage. That's what we do today. We're doing, they were doing their own thing then, and we do our own thing now. And they did that up to the very day that Noah entered the ark. They knew nothing about what would happen until the drip drop. The rain started coming, and the flood started rising. And watch what the Bible says. And that is how it will be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. People doing whatever they want to do. Ladies and gentlemen, I love you enough to tell you the truth. Your way will lead you to an eternal separation from God. You cannot do your own thing and be your own God. You've got to submit your will to his will. You've got to submit your life to his life. You've got to submit your heart and get a new heart. Can I get a hundred people that knows what I'm talking about? Woo! Come on, somebody testify thanking God for grace. Come on, that God can save you. All you got to do is confess your sin. That's all you got to do. Confess your sin, ask Jesus to be your Lord. That's it. What can separate you from the love of God? Nothing can separate you from the love of God except your excuses. I'm going to do my own thing. I'll be my own God. That is dangerous. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end, it's the way of death and destruction. So let me be a billboard on the side of the interstate, blinking neon lights. Get your house in order. Get your heart in order. You can't do what you want to do. My life is not my own. Woo, I feel like preaching today. The second thing is this. People don't even believe Jesus is coming back. He ain't coming back. You preachers have been yelling about it for years. Well, I'm going to keep yelling. People get ready. Jesus is coming. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. He's, there's no way that Jesus is coming back. I'm telling you. Believe it or not, he's coming. Be ready or not, he's coming. The Bible says this in Matthew 24. Watch. Two men. And I know this may sound funny, but I want to put it into context today. Two men are going to be working at Amazon. Jesus is going to come back, and one of those men will be taken, and the other is going to be left. Two men will be working at Delta, and when Jesus comes back, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be working in the schoolhouse, right? One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be working in D.C. One will be taken, one will be left. And I know what you're thinking. If they're in D.C., they'll both be left. I'm not their judge, baby. I don't know. But it's going to happen. That in a moment, watch, one will be taken and the other will be left. That's why the Bible says this, keep watch. You know, rhetorical, by the way. And I'll throw me into this whole conversation. It was the last time you woke up. I need to keep watch. Make sure my house is in order. My heart is ready. 
Because today Jesus could return. Today Jesus could come back. And I know we're talking about the second coming, but he could also call us home. Keep watch because you don't know what day the Lord will come. Watch this. But understand this, verse 43. If the owner of the house had known what time of the night the thief was coming, you'd stay up all night. If I knew what time somebody was breaking in my house, I'd be standing at the front door, locked and loaded, baby. Come on. Let me get 14 rednecks. You know what I'm talking about. Come on, somebody. We're on play. You're going to come in my house, you're going to leave it dead. I don't even know if that made sense, but it sounded good. If you knew what time the thief was coming, you'd stay up all night. You would have what? Kept watch. You wouldn't have let his house be broken into. Does that make sense? So you also must be ready. Somebody say ready. Because the son of man will come at an hour that you don't even expect him to come. So these are the current end time attitudes. We'll do whatever we want to do. We'll do our own thing. We don't even believe that Jesus is coming. But the correct end time attitude is this. And I'll show you out of 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, five verses Two correct end-time attitudes. And I, knew most, I know most pastors, they try to give you three points in a poem. I can only find two things. So I'm going to give you two things, okay? Watch this, 2 Peter chapter 3, five verses. Would you read this with me? If you're in Germantown, Westside Online, everybody in this room, let's read this together. Ready? One, two, three. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Pause right there for a moment. We're talking about the second coming here. That he's not slow in his return because, you know, that's how we understand slowness. I'm glad he's waiting. I'm ready for him to come. But if he came now, would you be ready? So God's not yet said to his son, now's the time for your return because he's patient with you. Today he is your savior. One day he'll be your judge though. So he's withholding the return, waiting for you to come to repentance. To say, God, I'm sorry for doing things my own way. I'm sorry for being my own God. I'm sorry for running from you. That's how much he loves you. Verse number 10. Come on, let's read together. You ready? But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Pause again, watch. The first time the Lord or God, the Lord God destroyed the earth, he did it with a flood. He won't flood the earth again. That's, that's the promise of the rainbow in the sky. The next time that God destroys the earth, it will be done by fire. And all of the elements, everything, buildings, universities, banks, homes, trees, rivers, mountains, you name it, will melt like wax. Now here's the good news. If you are in Christ Jesus, when that day happens, you ain't gonna be here. Can I get an amen? All right, let's keep reading. Verse number 11, ready? Come on. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? And here it is. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. One more verse. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Come on and give Jesus his word, God's word. A round of applause. Now these are the correct end time attitudes. We ought to live a holy life. A godly life. If you are in Christ Jesus, listen to me. You're in the world, you're not of it. You don't get to act like the world and think like the world and be like the world and behave like the world. You are holy. That Greek word for holy is hagios. It means set apart. You're different. The book of Titus calls you peculiar. You're not like this world. We're called to be different than the world. To be more like Christ and less like ourselves. Perfection is not the goal. But holiness is the standard. Watch what the Bible says. 1 John chapter 2. Watch. Don't love the world. Don't love anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Father, forgive me. 
Forgive me for the things that are in this world that I love more than my love for you. For everything in the world, watch this, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. One preacher said it this way, gold, girls, and glory will be the destruction of every man. Or for ladies, PMS, power, money, and sex. Come on, you're not gonna help me today, that's fine. None of that, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, none of that comes from the Father. It all comes from the world. Watch verse 17. The world and its desires will what? It's all gonna pass away. But whoever does the will of God, they live forever. The right, the correct end time attitude is to say, I'm gonna live a holy life. I'm gonna live a godly life. I'm gonna let Jesus be the Lord of my life. It doesn't mean that I'll be perfect, but I'm gonna make him the center, the nucleus of my home, of my heart, of my family, of my relationships, of my marriage, of my business. Every fiber in my being will be for his glory. This life is not about me, my life is about him, come on. The second correct end time attitude is this. You ought to be looking forward to your new home. Man, we got a great house. I love our house. And you have done a tremendous job spreading the gospel through Hobby Lobby to decorate our home. But like I said earlier, I'm ready for an upgrade. I like to say this, bad grammar, good preaching. This world ain't my home. You may know what your address is. You may know your city, state, zip code, country. But your citizenship is not here on earth. No, I'm looking forward to a day. And I know the cameras are recording, so I want to make sure you get this. I don't know how long I've got on this earth. I don't know what day the Lord Jesus will call me home or come back to call us and catch us up in the air. I want to be alive as long as Jesus has a plan for my life. But if I die before any of you die, and you listen to me, sweetie, if I go before any of you go, you don't have to weep for me. I know you'll miss me. And I'll be looking down to make sure you miss me. But you don't have to weep for me. Because in my heart of hearts, my heart is longing for my heavenly home. And when I get to heaven, there are people that I want to see. I want to see my two grandfathers that I've never met. I believe that they're in heaven. I want to see my two grandmothers that died before I was nine years old. I want to see my dad, who I haven't seen in so long because I know that he's there. But my heart really longs to see Jesus. Come on, somebody. To see his glory face to face. I'm ready for the upgrade. Come on. I think we ought to, I think we ought to pray about heaven. I think we ought to plan for heaven. I think we ought to dream about heaven. I think we ought to invest more of our stock in the things of eternity than we do in the things of this world. Come on. This world is not my home. You know how I get through the days that are just wild and the news and the issues and the sin? I know that one day your boy ain't going to be here. And in heaven, can I just preach for about 20 seconds? There are no politics. There is no pandemic. There is no cancer. There is no debt. There is no disease. There is no hatred. Come on now. In heaven, the gates are made from one beautiful pearl. The seas are made of crystal. The streets are paved with gold. Heaven is my home. And there is a mansion for me in heaven. And I'm confident that on the front porch of that mansion, there's a Georgia Bulldog flag waving right on that front porch. Baby, come on, somebody. Woo! Anybody looking forward to a new home? Here's what Philippians says. Watch this. For as I have often told you before, and I tell you again, even now with tears in my eyes, many people live as enemies of the cross of Christ Jesus. Their destiny is their destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Listen, work hard, get your degree, get a good job, buy you a home get you a white picket fence, grab you a poodle named Pookie, have a good life, invest into your future, start that business, write that book, 
marry that girl, marry that guy, whatever, whatever the dream is. But you cannot consider the things of this earth greater than the things of heaven. Does that make sense? Our mind can't be set on the earthly things because our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there. So as I wait, as I wait for the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to preach the gospel and tell the whole world who Jesus is. Come on, if you've enjoyed today, can you give Jesus the best praise? To God be the glory. Come on, anybody thankful for the hope of heaven? Come on. Thank you, Jesus. All right, two questions I'll pray for you. What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? And what's your next step in this journey of faith? Every head bowed, every eye closed, every location. Hallelujah, Jesus. As we wait on you, Lord, I just want to make sure my life is right, my heart is right. So today I confess my sin to you, Jesus. I give it all to you today. My next step is making sure that you are the Lord of my life. Forgive me. This is the prayer I pray with my kids every night. Wash me clean. Make me new. Let me be more like you, Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of the incorrect attitude that I've had as I'm living in these last days and give me a desire to live a a holy life, a godly life, a life that is pursuing you and your will and not my will and your way and and not my way. Forgive me of getting my mind set on the things of this earth when this world is not where I'll spend forever. I want to be with you forever. So God, I'm confessing these things to you and I'm inviting you to be Lord. I give you my whole heart. I give you my whole life. If you prayed that prayer in any way as a recommitment in your faith walk or to say yes to Jesus for the very first time in this room, Westside, Germantown, online, I'm counting to three hands going up. One, two, three, come on. Thank you, thank you. Dozens of hands in this room, I'm sure. And our other campuses as well. Lord, you see every hand, it's a sign of surrender. Thank you for the revelation of your word reminding us that you are coming back. And now today we get our hearts ready. We get our homes ready. And as we wait, we're committed to the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. We love you. We honor you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. And the whole church said amen. Listen to me. I'm going to have you clap all day long. Dozens and dozens of hands have gone up. Can we celebrate and rejoice together for the work of God? Yeah. Thank you, Jesus.